This is the final message today in the series that I'm teaching, um, and I'm, I'm excited about sharing this message with you, but I also want to let you know what's going on. At the end of the gathering, Trin's going to let you know, Pastor Trin's going to let you know um, that both of our campuses are, are celebrating the Super Bowl next week, um, and I'm excited. Come hungry. Because when we do a tailgate party here at New Life, we do a tailgate party. Uh, and that's what it is. You got to wear your favorite apparel for your favorite team. Even if yours is a losing team, I'd like you to wear it um, and anyway. Uh, and, and for those of you that are victorious, uh, faithful followers of the Kansas City Chiefs, wear your apparel next week and join me in that. We appreciate that. So anyway, I've been a KC uh, fan my whole life. And the last two years, it's really, really been a special. It's been very special. I, I get worked up emotionally about it, but I'm really, really glad. Some of y'all just don't care. Um, and I, I understand because I didn't care when your team was in the Super Bowl either, but now I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm excited. I'm just, I know I'm in Raider Nation. I apologize. Whew, man. Um, um, I, I went to a Raiders game one time all decked out in my red uh, Chiefs. I thought this is exciting because when I went to Kansas City, when I went to Arrowhead in Kansas City, I watched and the Raiders were playing there. You know, you're just like, yeah, you guys are no good. You know, it's like, ha, ha, ha. It was totally different here in Oakland. Um, I, got, I got spit on, uh, sunflower seeds spit on me from a whole section of people, and I got beer. It, 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 yeah, so um, uh, let's not do that at church. <laughs> we're not going to be that rude, but it, it was crazy. And so I... I um, I, I, uh, I decided I would not wear my red anymore to the Coliseum in, in Oakland. That was probably not a good idea. Today, we're talking about a very serious subject that I want to get to. If you've got your Bible, open up to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel. So, Super Bowl next week. After Super Bowl, we're moving into a four-part series that I'm really excited about called Hashtag Relationship Goals. Hashtag relationship goals. We're going to be talking about relationships. Since some of you are married, we're going to talk about marriage. Some of you are not married, but you want to be married maybe one day. We're going to talk about that. But everybody's in relationships of some sort. We're going to talk about what goals we have for those relationships and how we can strengthen our relationships with our, with our children, with our parents, with our siblings, and with our with our marriages, with our, with your significant others. So I really want you to be here for that series that's gonna start after the Super Bowl, the week after the Super Bowl, and uh, it's gonna be pretty powerful. But today we're in the final week of a four-part series uh, called Don't Carry a Grudge. Don't Carry a Grudge. In week one, we talked about forgiving the little things, the small offenses that come our way, and we talked about, you might remember a sign that was up here. We had the, um, the action that takes place that somebody does, and we have our reaction. But what happens in the gap is what we called it. What do you do in the gap? Because everybody has a gap between the action and the reaction, and hopefully you learn something from that. In week number two, we, we dealt with the larger, kind of more painful offenses that come our way that are really deep and, and really difficult to just get over. Um, but we, we talked about how we can deal with those. And then last week, man, we learned how to forgive, uh, how to forgive ourselves. And didn't Pastor Trinity do a great job with that message last week? It can be so hard to forgive yourself. And I know many of you today are walking in victory in this area, in freedom in this area, because I believe that word was so powerful last week, and for that I'm so very thankful. But today, we're, we're talking about forgiveness, uh, letting go of a grudge in a different way. How many of you love a really good miracle story? 
I mean, a really good, like God came through and kicked the devil's butt story. One of those, one of those things. God shows up and God shows off and he does something very powerful. Maybe, maybe at one of our churches, there's somebody who, who, uh, who started tithing for the first time. Decide they're gonna be faithful and obedient to God in the area of giving. And they started giving on a Sunday. They gave their very first tithe. And on Monday, they walked in and the boss met them at the front door and said, come into my office. And, and he had them sit down and said, listen, I just, I've noticed how hard you've been working around here and I'm gonna give you a big, fat raise and they share that with you and you just begin to celebrate God's victory and it's great. But maybe you have been obedient and faithful to God and you've been tithing for years and you're still barely able to pay your bills and you wonder, well, where's my miracle? Maybe you've got a friend that's been praying for a miraculous healing desperately needs, I mean, on death, death is imminent for their parakeet and they're praying and praying and praying this little bird will survive whatever infection and disease this little yellow bird has in the cage and the parakeet gets healed and they're celebrating and you're like, right on, but, but my mama has been sick for a long time. And I've been praying for mama to be healed from her disease. And for some reason, my mama has not been set free. From, in fact, my mama passed away. And you're wondering, well, where, where was my miracle in, in this, God? Uh, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a friend broke up with her not-so-good boyfriend. I mean, he really wasn't a good guy. And she just took the step of faith and said she's going to break up with her boyfriend. And so she broke up with her boyfriend, and wouldn't you know it, um, she, after, three days later, after breaking up with her boyfriend, God brought this amazing, God-fearing, incredible young man who looks like the son of Brad Pitt into her life, and, and he can recite two-thirds of the New Testament, and three weeks later, he gets down on one knee, and he proposes to this young lady, and they're memorizing first Corinthians chapter 13 for their upcoming marriage that they can just pronounce it together in unison. Oh, and all of a sudden, somebody comes up along and gives them a one-week trip, all expenses paid for their honeymoon to Hawaii. It's a miracle. And, and you or your teenage child broke up with their deadbeat boyfriend also in 2015. And the only, the only dates they've had since are with a couple of guys named Ben and Jerry, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and you're wondering, where are you at, God? Where is my miracle in all of this? What do you do when you find yourself disappointed in God? What do you do when you feel like God let you down? Precursor, God isn't letting you down. It's impossible for God to fail. I want you to understand that up front, okay? So theologically speaking, you can't hold a grudge against God in a real sense because God never, ever fails. But it feels like that. Maybe it's the baby you always dreamed of having, but the baby never came. It might be the engagement that you believed would be coming, but the engagement day has never come. It could have been the miracle that you believed by faith that God would do for you. And he could have done it. You know he could have done it, but he hasn't done it yet. You know he has the power to do it, but he hasn't come through. 
What, what he, listen, what do you do when you don't even want to say it out loud? Because you have just too much reverence for God, but you're wondering inside, God, where are you? God, why aren't you showing up for me? Where is the miracle God that I've been believing for? And then you might find yourself slightly or maybe, maybe not so slightly disappointed with God. Maybe even angry at God or holding a grudge against God. It's not that you don't want to trust him. You really do want to trust him. But you might be finding it difficult to trust God right now because God could do something. He could heal your marriage and yet you still find yourself ensnared in frustration and discouragement. God could do something and yet he's not doing something. What do you do when you realize you're holding a grudge against God? That's the question. You feel like you've been wronged. You feel like God didn't do what he could have done and you need to learn to trust God again. You need to learn to trust God Again, what do you do when you feel like you've been wronged by God? There's this powerful story in 1 Samuel that we're gonna take a look at today. Um, it's in the Old Testament about a woman who's been, who needs to be reconciled uh, with God. Uh, she needs to reconcile some disappointments that she has with God. So what I wanna do first of all is I wanna tell you about her husband. Her husband's name is Elkanah. Um, Elkanah uh, actually had two wives. Uh, I know, uh, the Holy Bible. We know drama, right? Here it goes. One wife, uh, his first wife, um, her name was Hannah. The other wife, her name was Penina. And these sister wives had this rivalry going on, okay, between them. And you can only imagine. Elkanah, let's talk about him for a second. His name in Hebrew, your name in, in, in the Bible means something. His name was given to him by his parents and it was a declaration over his life of this is what we see God wanting you to be or to, to use you as or how he wants to bless you. And so Elkanah's name in the Old Testament Hebrew actually means God will give you a son. So every time he's walking the halls at junior high uh, and there, somebody says, hey Elkanah, um, what they're really saying is God will give you a son and everybody knew that. That was the proclamation over his life. You're gonna have a son. Every time somebody greeted him, it was a reminder to him that he was going to have a son. So for his whole life, he had dreamed about this. But unfortunately, his first wife, her name was Hannah, she was unable to bear children, which is why most scholars believe he took on a second wife, a Penina, um, and they became, hence the, the sister wives. You can only imagine how the first wife, her name was Hannah, how she must have felt. She couldn't have a child, and especially in that culture, she would have felt like a tremendous failure. Maybe she would have experienced some shame. She might have felt useless. It would have been really easy for Hannah to say, God, where are you? You're the author of life. Why can't I have a child? So each year, the Bible tells us each year this family, uh, Elkanah and his, his sister wives, uh, would go on a retreat, would go on a vacation. They would go to a place called Shiloh together, this adventure. And they would offer worship unto God um, at this place called Shiloh. Think of it as like going to family camp or to a camp meeting. Once a year, this is what they would do as, as a family. They'd offer sacrifices to God there. The problem is, Penina, the, the second wife, who could have children, she would take every opportunity, especially on this trip, 
to passively aggressively or, or more, more than likely it was more outright aggressively, insult her rival, the other wife, Hannah, because Hannah couldn't have any children. And so that's where we're picking up this story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse number 6. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And can you imagine the misery of that? Year after year, it was the same. This wasn't a short-term thing. This was an ongoing, painful thing. These words, for many people, can haunt your soul because year after year, things haven't changed for you either. Penina would taunt Hannah as they would enter the tabernacle, and each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears, and she wouldn't even eat. Now, I really want you to try really hard, because I know you've got your own story, but try to put yourself in this story today. It will really help you in your story. Experience what's going on. We've got Hannah, this first wife, this very sweet, very godly girl, and then we've got the other one, Penina. This is the girl your mama warned you about, to stay, stay away from girls like this. She's cruel, and she's vicious, and she's meaner than a cat in a shower, all right? So she's, you can only imagine Hannah's mindset. She had, she had to be asking God, why in the world, God, does Penina get to have children, and I don't get to? Hmm. God, you could give me a child, but you haven't given me a child. Why? So just kind of picture the dialogue for a second. I've been faithful. I saved myself for marriage. I read my Bible every day. I attend one, serve one at church, right? I'm a giver. I love God. I haven't defamed anybody. To my knowledge, I haven't hurt anybody. And yet there are all these people around that do all these wrong, evil, wicked things, and yet they have children, and I can't. That just doesn't seem to be fair. I have been faithful to you, God. Where are you at in my life? I don't understand. And so she did what maybe you do and what I do when you're in a situation like this. She prayed and she believed and she waited and then there was nothing. Year after heart-wrenching year, it was the same thing. She prayed and she believed, and she waited, and there was nothing. She prayed, and she believed, and she waited, and there was nothing. And maybe you can relate a little little bit to this. You have prayed, as, as I have, for the salvation of someone that you love, and year after year goes by, and nothing seems to change. You prayed, and you prepared, because you really want to get a job with benefits. Just You're not asking to be rich. You just want to support your family and not be living paycheck to paycheck. And you pray for that job, but that job seems to be elusive. It's still out of reach to you. You ask God for the healing of somebody that you love, and you know he could, and you know that he would, but yet he didn't, and you wonder, where's the miracle at? You do it for other people, but you're not doing it for me. Maybe you've prayed and you've asked God, would you please take this depression away from me? This cloud, I beg you, God. I know you can. I know you have. 
but year after year, you keep asking the same question. It could be a trial in your life that never seems to go away. It could be a marriage that just never seems to get any better. It could be a financial hardship and month after month and year after year believing that you're gonna get ahead and yet you're always feeling like you're behind. It could be dreaming of or hoping for someone to do life with. Someone. And year after year you still feel, you still feel alone. And then one day you wake up and you start to wonder, where are you, God? I've trusted you. I'm trying. I'm really trying to believe in you. Why haven't you done what I know you can do? Do you even hear me, God? Are my, my prayers just kind of bouncing off the ceiling? Do you care? Where are you, God? Hmm. And so you pray, and you believe, and you wait. And another year goes by, and if you've ever felt like that, then you know exactly what Hannah feels like in the Bible here. And for some of you, I think it's 50-50. For some of you, you feel like that right now. You're like, I'm really uncomfortable because you're striking a nerve and this is really where I'm at. And others of you, you're like, I'm not there right now. And there's the key words, right now. Because life has a way of sucker punching us. And the devil has a way of manipulating us and coercing us into feeling, uh, being drawn into this kind of a pit of despair. And so I want you to be prepared. Either it's proactive or it's reactive, but either way it's helpful to everyone here. So now, Elkanah, he was, I think the husband was probably a pretty good man. I mean, you read the story and you're like, what? But I think he was a probably a pretty good, pretty good man. The problem was he's still a dude. And you, you can't take the dude out of the man. You just can't do that. And so I'm going to try to help you ladies understand a little bit. It's part of life. The problem with dudes, and I don't mean to make us guys feel, I don't, I'm not one of those pastors that makes guys feel stupid, but sometimes we say stupid things. We just do. We, we, we don't mean to be insensitive. It's just we've got the dude. You can't take the dude out of the guy. You can't do that, right? You, you got it deep down inside of you. It's kind of hardwired inside of us. We're all bent towards sin, but sometimes dudes just ask really stupid questions. So fellas, Practical advice from a friend, okay? And I'm gonna help you so ladies, you don't have to tune in, you certainly don't have to elbow your significant other if they're here today, but, but I'm gonna help you. I'm, I am on your side. There are landmines in every marriage. Certain questions that you are forbidden to ask. You may not ask these questions, and I'm gonna try to help you with this. They seem natural. They seem right. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof leads to death or destruction is what the Bible says, and that's kind of this, this situation here. God has sent me here today to deliver someone from imminent trouble that is on the way because you're tempted to ask one of these questions today. Are you ready for this? You never, ever, ever walk into the house at the end of the day and under any circumstance do you ever say, did you do anything today? Never, ever say that question. I've never asked that question. I'm trying to help you. Don't ever walk up to a woman in any way, no matter who they are, and ask, did you mean to do that with your hair? <laughs> and whatever you do, gentlemen, I am in your corner. I've got your back. I am here for the brothers in the house and watching from home today. Never ever ask, I have a beautiful wife and four amazing daughters, never, ever ask the question, are you PMSing? 
I can just feel the temperature of the room shift even as I ask that question. It's just the tone goes, it, it puts me in an incredibly difficult place to even bring this up right now, guys, but that's how much I love you fellas. I, I want you to, I'm in your corner. I'm willing to risk it all for you. <laughs> Instead, you should ask questions like, baby, why are you so wonderful? See, see that? Those are the questions to ask. And I mean that, by the way, I mean that, right? Or, or um, questions like, how did I... How did I get you, right? Yeah, that's a better question. Don't be a, don't be a, don't be a dork, right? Elkanah asked a dude question. Probably the most dudish question you'll read in the entire Bible. And I want to make sure that you understand what he, what he read. He, 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 he I, I want to show you what he, what he asked. But Hannah wants to have the child. She's really in despair. She wonders, why isn't God coming through for her? She's very, very, very upset and so Elkanah wonders why is she so upset so he asks a question in verse number eight and get this here's, here's what he says he said Elkanah her husband would say to her Hannah why are you weeping why don't you eat why are you downhearted don't I mean more to you than ten sons I don't know if you understand the gravity of what he's saying here he's a dude he actually thought that he was this made sense to him don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? How would that make you feel? Hannah's response is not recorded in the scripture. But I believe that God revealed to me what she said back to him. And I think she said something like this. Do you want to rephrase that question? Because I hear that from my wife. So I think that might be quite possibly what, what, she's, asking, what she's asking him. He asks a ridiculous question, and she is in terrible pain. And sometimes you can ask ridiculous questions when people are in terrible, terrible pain. Because she's doing everything she can do just to trust God. And the only thing that she wants, the only thing she wants, God alone has the power to give her. And it seems to her that God is withholding that from her. Then she's got Penina, her, her rival sister wife, running around with her little rugrats, the little children, always criticizing her and belittling her. And then she's got her husband continuously putting his foot in his mouth. What do you do when you wake up and you find yourself disappointed because you know that God can do something, but he hasn't done something? I propose that, that we do kind of what Hannah did. Now, this is something that you'll do on occasion. This is not something that you'll do all the time. Chances are pretty good you're not gonna hear about this um, often in churches or in teachings and stuff. A lot of pastors, I've not really heard people say this a lot. I, in fact, I don't even recommend you do this uh, every day for the next 20 years. It's not, not good for you. But in the short term, every now and then, you might need to do what she did. And what did she do? She absolutely, totally unloaded on God. I mean, she unloads. She let it rip. She didn't hold anything back. She told God exactly how she felt about him. Not about her circumstance, but about him. And she took all the pain and all the hurt and all the disappointment and all the anguish and all the agony and she just hurled it recklessly at God. And, and this is what the scripture says. 
Once after a, a sacrificial meal uh, at, at Shiloh, Hannah got up and she went to pray. And there's this, there's this fourth character in this story. Remember, there's Elkanah the husband and Hannah the wife and Penina the sister wife. But then there's this priest by the name of Eli that happens to be in the church, in the tabernacle, when Hannah goes up to pray. And so he's there. And he was sitting in his customary place at the entrance of the tabernacle. And Hannah was in deep anguish, the Bible says. It says that she was crying bitterly and she prayed to the Lord. From the depths of her heart, she cries out. Now, we don't know exactly what she says, but that's what the Bible says. From the depths of her heart, she cries out in anguish unto the Lord. And I think that it's fair to insert that she would probably have said something like, God, this isn't fair. God, why didn't you? God, why aren't you, right? Why did you give a baby to her and why aren't you giving a baby to me? God, I've done everything I could for you. God, I believed in you. God, I've been faithful to you. God, I've loved you. I've trusted you. I've always been here for you, God. I've always declared your faithfulness, your goodness. Why haven't you done it for me, God? That's what she's pouring her heart out to God. If you ever find yourself hurting, I mean feeling disappointed with God, let God know. Tell him about it. Tell him all. Pour out your heart to him. God is big enough to handle your pain. He's big enough to handle your hurt. David did it. God, why aren't you stopping my enemies? Why did you let them taunt me so? Jeremiah did it. You know what? Jesus Christ did it. The very one who was fully God and fully man, he was hanging on the cross. He's like, my God, my God, why did you turn your back on me? I have been faithful to you in every moment of my life and when I needed you the most, you're not there. Jesus, the son of God, felt it and communicated it to God. I believe as an example to us, that it's okay for you from time to time to tell God how you feel. He understands, he gets your pain. And I believe with all my heart that he welcomes your questions. He is big enough to handle it. Listen to me, God would rather have you yell at him in disappointment and in pain than to walk away from him in hurt and in defeat. Take your pain to God. And if you find yourself disappointed, if you find yourself hurt, if you find yourself disillusioned, God is big enough to understand your pain, so take it to him. So Hannah unloads to God. I don't understand. Then in her prayer, she cries out. She says, if you will just give me a son, I will give him back to you. He's not mine, he's gonna be completely yours. Every ounce of him will be dedicated to you. And then there's this interesting dialogue that takes place between Hannah and the priest. We're not gonna go into detail for time's sake, but at the end of the conversation, the priest says, just kind of nonchalantly to her, may God grant your request, and then that's it. That's all he says. May God grant your request. There's no immediate change, there's no a hallelujah chorus singing above. There's no angels that open up. The, the, the sun shines down on her. She wakes up the next morning to nothing tangible. Still has to deal with Penina. Still has to deal with the stupid things that her husband says. Still has no baby. Still has no real sign. And so what does she do? What does she do? 
She does the very same thing that I am challenging, that I am urging you to do when you find yourself disappointed with God. She continues by faith, even though she doesn't feel like it. She continues to do her best to hold on to God and to believe that he is still good, even in the midst of my pain. She hangs on. She tries to trust God. She sees nothing. Even though she doesn't see anything, that doesn't mean that God's not actually doing something. And with just the little bit of faith that she has left, she, she continues to hold on. She continues to believe that God is good and she doesn't let go. And I want to show you in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse number 19, but I want you to read it off the screen. This is in the NLT, uh, the New Living Translation. Just the first sentence the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Now I just want to stop. Here we are. She hears from God. She, she lets it out to God the night before. She hears from God to, uh, through the priest. And, and, and the next morning they rise and they go and worship the Lord once more. Uh, spoiler alert. Does she get her miracle? The answer is yes. She gets her miracle. They have a baby. Uh, Akana and, and her have a baby together. They name him Samuel. They dedicate Samuel to the Lord. Samuel ultimately is a, a pivotal character in the Bible um, that then uh, is, is uh, the one, one who commissions uh, King David uh, into service. It's a powerful story. And, and, and all that's great. But what I want to do is I want to go back to that verse. Let's put that back on the screen again, please, if you don't mind. Thank you so much. Just, just look at this. Uh, the, the entire family gets up the next morning. All of them. They're, they're fixing to leave. I mean, it's time to go home. Vacation's over. But they decide. They decide they're going to go to worship the Lord once more. Now, the Bible doesn't say this. But I have a feeling the one who organized this the one who said, come on now, wash your faces, let's get up, let's get going. The one who said to her husband, Elkanah, yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll go, we'll go, we're, we're all packed, we're ready to go, but we got, we, got to, we got one more thing we got to do. I have a feeling that it, was, that it was Hannah. They rose early the next morning, and they went to worship the Lord once more. I love the way that's phrased. Still seeing nothing, what do they do? They worship the Lord once more once more, once more, once more. For some of you, this is it, this is it. This is where you're at. You are carrying a grudge against God. Will you rise once more and worship the Lord? Even when you see nothing happening. Because I do believe that a miracle is coming your direction with everything inside of me. I really do believe that God is going to come through for you. But in the meantime, will you forgive God and reaffirm your trust and your belief and your hope in Him today? Will you do that? What once more? How do I do that? Well, by worshiping the Lord. By worshiping the Lord. So by design, for the end of this, this series we're doing together, Don't Carry a Grudge, we have decided that we're going to give you an opportunity, an intimate opportunity with you and God to worship Him. So I've asked that the lights are dim. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to participate. 
But there's not a soul in this room that is going to leave this place today without being prayed for. I've asked the elders and the, all of the pastors, staff of our church, to be available, and we're going to pray for you today. Because we may not know what's going on in your life, and you may not fully understand and comprehend what's happening, but, but God certainly does. Some of you just need to reaffirm, God, yes, I am, I am being faithful. I will continue to trust you. S some of you might, however, need, uh, need to scream out to God. And that's another reason why the lights are going to be dim and the music's going to be a little louder because some of you just need to get into a corner and just tell God how you feel today. Or you need to go on a drive this afternoon and find a place to park out in the country somewhere and you need to just let it out. God would rather have you scream at him than walk away from him. And if you're like, well, I can handle this, really? I think those are the, the famous last words of so many former Christ followers. I can handle this. The point isn't that you can handle it. The point is you know the one that can. And he can take your burdens. And he can absorb all of your pain. And so for those of you that are in a season of waiting right now, in fact, why don't you just close your eyes right where you're at. If you are in a season of waiting, you prayed and you believed and you're waiting, you're still not seeing it. You prayed and you believed and you've waited and it's still not there. You prayed, you believed, you're waiting and other people are getting it, but you don't seem to be getting it. And you're not, you don't even really want to say it out loud, but inside you're kind of going, what's, what's the problem? Is there something wrong with me? God, do you love me? Do you care about me? Why aren't you coming through for me? Listen, if you're in the place that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and you're still not seeing it, then I'm gonna count to three. And when I get to three, I want you to lift your hand. It might be mustering all the strength that you have, that you are a candidate for a miracle today. One, two, three. You've been waiting. You've been waiting. You've been waiting. Come on now, all over this place. You've been waiting. You've been waiting for God. You've been waiting for him to come through. You've been waiting for him to help you. You've been waiting for him to give you victory. You've been waiting for that loved one to get saved. You've been waiting for your finances to turn around. You've been waiting for your marriage to be restored. You've been waiting. You've been waiting. You've been waiting. You've been waiting. Oh, Father, we ask by the power of the risen Son, Jesus Christ, that we would recognize that a waiting season is not a wasted season, that you're still on the throne, God, that you're still good, that you still hear the cries of our heart. And God, for every person in here that might feel disappointed, let down, disillusioned, God, we come to you today with whatever faith we have, and we choose to worship you once more. And God, by faith, would you help us to continue to worship you, not for just what we see, for what you do, or for what you undo, but God, for who you are, for who you are. Would you stand all over the house today? Would you stand in this place? Stand to your feet, please. We're gonna take a few moments today. We're gonna worship the Lord. Some of you might be worshiping God with tears. Some of you might be worshiping the Lord with fists shaking. Some of you might be worshiping the Lord with smile on because you've made it through. You know what it's like to hang on and see God come through in your life. Some of you, some of you don't realize it now, but God is preparing you for a next season in your life. And you don't wanna talk about it, but listen, the Bible says in this world, you will have trouble. And I'm not declaring that, but I'm also not foolish enough to say that every day of your life is gonna be glorious and blessed. 
I'm, I'm telling you, God is with you every day of your life. So whatever it is, if you need strength and power, we're going to worship God. If you're down in the mully grubs, we're going to worship God today. And here, here is what, listen, I'm going to, the Lord gave me a word to tell you from the Spirit of God that I wrote down in my notes that after we worship for a song, I'm going to come back and share that with you. These altars are open. I'm going to ask all pastors, all, all the elders in the church, I'm going to ask you, to, if they come to the altar, pray for them. You're, the, when you come to the altar today, I've been asked to make sure that you know you've got to wear your mask. And when you come to the altar today, I'm going to ask you to try to stay distanced, but I don't care how many people come. Just come and bring your burdens to God. Some people, why can't I stay in my chair? Well, I suppose you can, but the very reason you're asking that question is probably the very reason why you need to come to the altar, because you're fighting God in some way. Just come and worship the Lord and say, God, I'm trusting you. Renew my faith, renew my strength. Help me to believe in this waiting season of my life. Let us worship the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. These altars are open. Come and find your place. And let's worship God today.